The following episode was recorded in front of a live audience in the New Zealand Warbirds hangar at Ardmore Airport on the 28th of September 2014. We're very grateful to the New Zealand Warbirds Association for allowing us to hold a Wings Over New Zealand forum meet in their hangar. Because it was in a large hangar, the acoustics were not perfect and unfortunately there's a little bit of background noise in this recording. I do apologise that the sound recording is not perfect. The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi Warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Afternoon, folks, and uh, welcome. First of all, those who don't know me, Frank Parker, I'm president of Warbirds here, and I apologise for not being here earlier in the day to welcome everybody to our facilities. Unfortunately, my employer had other ideas to send in the room for the morning. Never mind, here we are. My popcorn story starts, I guess, as a, as a kid. I was the youngest of a couple of boys, and my elder brother like most kids at the time, was in the building model aeroplanes. He used to build Mustangs and uh, Spitfires and such like. And of course, to be different, I decided I'd build a Vicious Spit or a Fockball. And so, uh, Fieldcraft models, I think they were. He used to have a lot of fun building them and they never bloody flew. That's the way it is, I guess. I toyed with a, uh, the idea of 
building an airplane at some stage. I've been involved with Warbirds uh, for many years. In fact, as a young guy, when I joined the Air Force, I learned to fly on Harvards. I must say, I was very young at the time. And so I had this natural affinity with, with airplanes and things, and I had a desire to get involved in something bigger than Harvard, but had no means of achieving that. And so I thought of really uh, flying long haul in the airline, spent many nights laying in the bunker in the 747 about how I could go about getting a real big aeroplane. And I started working down the plans of um, there's that guy, Marcel Gerke, a Frenchman who designed replica aeroplanes. And I had this thought in the back of my mind of building one. Fortunately, the thought went away. Further down, a few years uh, down, down the way, and uh, I actually got lucky enough to be invited to fly the P-40 at Garfark Hoganone. And uh, so that sort of satisfied my need to fly a big aeroplane. And one thing developed to another, and then, uh, must be about five years ago now, is I got a call from Graham Orphan and uh, Omar, who runs uh, the classic museum down there and pretty much the, uh, runs the classic fighters air show. And he said they had this exciting new aeroplane arriving, would I be interested in flying it? And I says, oh, what might that be, Graham? He said, well, anyway, it turned out to be the spot. And I says, which limb do you want? <laughs> and that's where the story began. Unfortunately, uh, we tried to get it flying, not the previous classified show, the one before. So that puts it about four years ago. And everything went against us. Is the thing got held up in shipping, and then it got held up by the eight people because they found some leaves in the container and they wanted to do whatever it is, the leafy containers. And it arrived at Omaha Airfield literally a week before the airshow. And they had a huge effort there to try and get the thing going. And they got it all back together and they got a ground run. CAA came to the party and, and actually came and ticked the boxes that needed to be ticked. And a couple of days before the airshow, I got down there and says, right, here's your airplane, what are we going to do next? It was a total unknown. There's not many football pilots around. And although a few of these had flown uh, in the preceding well, years, I guess, a few of these uh, reproduction aircraft, there's very little information on them. I'd had a lead-in in a few months, so I'd spent a lot of time trying to get some information of what this thing did. And the best I could get was uh, from a guy, Steve Hinton, in, in Chino. And I got it for a third part, and he said, it's just not a war that sounded, pretty, that sounded pretty simple. So um, I spent a little bit of time, a little bit of time, as in a few days, getting used to the aircraft, sitting in it. Uh, we worked out some checklists, which was a, an exercise in its own, because the, best, the only checklists we had were translations from the original German checklist. And it had been done by a computerized program, and there's lots of words in it, especially aeronautical terms, didn't directly translate. Uh, I was lucky enough to get one of the guys I work with in New Zealand, who's a German-speaking Swiss guy, and also involved, uh, interested in warbirds, and says, Bernard, Bernard, can you help me out with this? And so together we sat down and we had lots of emails backwards and forwards, and he translated some of these obscure terms, and I found that, you know, something, it would generally something simple like on, off, <laughs> which was tricking us. Spent some time with the aircraft, got familiar with it. Uh, Joey McIntyre, the engineer down there, he'd spent quite a lot of time ground running it, etc. 
he ran me through the engine procedures and so we just started taxing the thing around. And when we got bored with taxing it, the time came to go flying. And it was a total unknown. All I knew was that the brakes weren't very good, it was very, very noisy, and it had a very harsh undercarriage, so it bumped across the ground, almost like a rigid undercarriage. And eventually I got brave enough, lined myself up on the old runway at uh, Omarka, and we hit the taps, and off we went. It was exciting. I found that if you hit the taps too quickly, which I had, you very quickly run out of right rudder. And so as I finally got airborne bouncing across the Omarka Strip, we were about 20 or 30 degrees off the runway heading, I thought, crikey, this doesn't look too good. And then we found out, as I got the thing airborne, that it was completely out of trim. What had happened is that uh, the aeroplane had only ever flown once before, many years previously. And we had no idea where the trim should be. So we said, well, let's set them all neutral. That was a mistake. So I ended up 500 feet in this thing, and it was like holding on to a bucking bonker. It was completely out of trim. I almost had two hands to keep the thing level. I was standing on the left rudder pedal like I, everything I had. And I was thinking to myself, crap, how do I get to this position? <laughs> anyway, climbed it overhead, did a few uh, orbits, got myself sorted out, got the, got the aeroplane sorted, or caught up with the aeroplane, and uh, flew it around a little bit. First thing I wanted to do was establish what my stall like so I could uh, get back to Earth. And so I climbed over Omarka and put it back towards the uh, felt like was getting pretty slow, took a note of the speed and then multiply that by 1.3. That's my approach speed. And then headed for Woodburn. Omarka's pretty restrictive as you would uh, as you may or may not know. Woodburn's got about 10,000 acres of grass. I thought this is a good place to try my first landing. And uh, so that landed the thing. And yeah, it was uh, it was reasonably good. And taxied back and went another circuit of Woodburn. Did a couple of circuits of Woodburn. Well, yes, I think I, I think I'm happy to go back to Omarka, which is a sort of a restricted airfield. Back to Omarka to land. And would you believe one wheel wouldn't come down? So here we were, first flight, owner on the ground, Frank in the air. And as the, the owner says, one lollipop. <laughs> and uh, so, having written the pilot's notes for it myself, I thought, this is easy, so I'll just pull the emergency landing uh, gear extension. It's a little lever up here. But I couldn't find it. I thought, now, how, how can this be? So that two hours ago, I've been going through all these drills of where everything is. And now that I really, really need it, I can't find this bloody lever to pull the gear down. And of course what had happened is that there's a fuel shut-off switch on it, which is a lever goes like this to there, about that, that much movement. And conveniently when it's up the top, it covers the little lever I was looking for. Anyway, we found that. We found that. Gave it a nice tug and relaxed. Nothing happened. Still got one lollipop. on. And so at that stage I'm talking to the guys, I managed to get the guys on the ground and say, any suggestions? And they came back and said, well, just try to, this is an electrical aeroplane, just try turning everything off and everything on. <laughs> okay. So I turned, turned the electrics off, turned the electrics on, boom, the air came down. That was very, very, uh, the heart rate dropped somewhat at that point. And what had happened is, as I said, the electrical aeroplane, 
uh, everything that flaps the gear, the propeller control, is all electrically controlled because the guy who designed it, Kurt Tank, was an electrical engineer by profession. And the Irish uh, avionics engineer who sort of tra started tracing problems for us down at Omarka, and the German guy who was there, who actually came out from the factory to help get everything going, it became translated as a wiki wire. And there's a, what was it, there's a little um, switch in the undercarriage. And the wire of that had been captured on the undercarriage was going up and down, and it had decided to pull itself out a little bit. By turning the electrics off, it sort of isolated that, released the, uh, the brakes in the undercarriage, which allowed it to fall down. That was the first flight. So we spent a few other flights um, prior to the airshow market, and I just went out there and really expanded the envelope by go flying. I'd start going a little bit. I'd try a little bit. I'd try to think a little bit faster. I would. Still yeah, I just started expanding the envelope. We went from straight and level to flying a little bit faster, putting into the line, putting into the line, uh, banking it, just exaggerating my uh, manoeuvres until finally we got brave enough to, from a big wing over to do an A-line roll. And from an A-line roll we got brave enough to work it up to a barrel roll. And from a barrel roll we got brave enough to work it up to some looping manoeuvres. And just getting a feel for the aeroplane. And unfortunately the day before the air show, I was out flying, I got a little bit of a vibration, I thought, not, not happy. So I headed back to the airfield and shortly after a big vibration. And that was the end of the flying. What had happened is um, part of the pitch change mechanism of the propeller, on one blade there is a nylon phenolic gizmo and it had cracked and it allowed one blade to go slightly out of track. And it was just like a car with an out of balance wheel. But really quite nasty. But sitting there and teeth chattering and not sure, okay. difficulty reading instruments, etc. So that was the end of the show. To fix that, the propeller had to come off, it had to be sent back to Germany because uh, the vibration caused another bit to fall off, it should have propeller. And the propeller blades are uh, composite, just like a big surfboard, and it put a ding in the prop. So the whole thing had to go back to Germany, get, re get repaired, come back. That was six months. Finally, we got the thing going again. And for the last Omarka show, which was the year before this year, we managed to get the aircraft up and running and do our um, demonstrations, etc. That's the brief history of it. The aeroplane itself, what's it like to fly? It's most unusual. It, it's, um, if, you've, if you've driven a car which has got a nice precise gearbox in it, and you can select the gears, bang, 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 just like that. That's what a Harbour or P40s like to fly. It's nice and positive, it talks to you, you go fast, the controls get heavy, you dive it, the controls get hard, etc. If you've driven a Volkswagen and tried to find reverse gear, that's what this thing's like. The controls just don't talk to you. It's almost hard to explain. It's like somebody's put a bit of a marshmallow between what you're hanging on to and what's happening down the back. Doesn't matter what speed you go, if you're 100 knots or 350 knots, it just feels the same. Uh, it's got this really unusual thing that when you pull the G in it, when you pull into a loop or any little steep turn or any sort of pitching manoeuvre, it gets a bit of yaw on it. So you go, you go to pull into a turn and it twists itself slightly sideways to the left. And so with a bit of experience, I found that 
I can anticipate that. And when I go and pull a loop or pull a bit of G into a turn, I actually feed in a little bit of right rudder just to keep the thing straight. It was most noticeable at the air show when I was following Doug in the Spitfire, and I was quite nicely tucked in in an echelon, and he just rolled into a turn and pulled, and suddenly the aeroplane just spits itself out about 15 metres. How'd that happen? But it's just the way it is. It's most, most unusual aeroplane. I would have to say it's not a nice aeroplane to fly. Now I'm not sure how much is lost in the, in the uh, transfer of, of this aircraft from the original. This is, it's, it's not a replica, it's a reproduction. It's built to the same plan specifications as the original aeroplane. Theoretically, you can take a panel off this aeroplane and go walk to any top walk in the world, which is about two, and the panel's interchangeable. The only thing that's really different is the engine. And so it should fly exactly the same. The only guy who's flown one of each, as in the, the original and re reproduction, is this guy Steve Hinton in the States. And his only comment is that oh, it doesn't roll quite so well, which is obscure because the aileron, everything's the same. But he just said, no, it just doesn't feel quite as good as the original aeroplane. That's the problem. I've got a couple of pictures that you'll bear with me. Um, one of the things that I'm just retracting, but the, the cockpit is particularly. Uh, even for a little guy like myself, is particularly cosy. And it was supposedly designed around the average 5 foot 10, 78 kilogram Luftwaffe pilot of the era. And I've got some pictures here if I can find them. Unfortunately, I'll look up there to see what's on here. That's the, the business end of it. The instruments are quite unusual in that they're basically two tiers. Across the top of your flight instruments, and they're, they're no particular order, not like a, if you look at a Spitfire, it's got the nice T panel uh, for your flight instruments, but they're okay. And similar instruments of um, fuel pressure and fuel contents and all that unimportant stuff, they're in the next tier, and a few engine instruments in the middle. So it's not a logical, it's not a nice layout, but it's a logical layout. And once you get used to it, it's pretty straightforward. Everything you've got to use is pretty much down this side of the cockpit. Uh, undercarriage indicator, undercarriage up and down, flaps up and down, the uh, throttle, of course. And for the pitch, it's just got a little uh, rocker switch on the end of the throttle, which is really cool to use compared to levers and levers. This is the advantage the undercarriage I couldn't find, and here's the fuel selector, which is up here, nicely covers it up. Um, this, the seating position is supine, you're almost laying down, which is obviously designed like that for combat, so you can pull lots of jeep without blacking out. But then down the side, it's just a few basic ancillary controls. I'd just like to, uh, to finish off with a little story about the, the guy who flew this thing. Just take me a little while to find this picture, I'm sorry. This guy is Eric Rudolph. But the aeroplane is uh, painted in delivery of this guy as he flew it in 1942, I think. He's a remarkable man. He's uh, the number seven all-time ace, fighter ace in the world, I think, with 222 aircraft shot down. 
He was a Lufthansa pilot prior to World War II and was eventually drafted in the Luftwaffe. And he started his, uh, his combat in the Battle of France. First aircraft he shot down was a Curtis Hawk. And he was flying every day just about throughout World War II until the end of the war. He flew in the Battle of Britain. He flew in well, Battle of France, Battle of Britain, occupied France, then went to, the, um, to Africa where he had some remarkable successes flying over in Africa. One uh, event is he and his wingman shot down eight aircraft, P-40s and P-36s, in eight minutes when they were getting attacked there. And then he ended up on the Eastern Front. And the, the, the Eastern Front for the Germans and initially was just a total turkey shoot. They, these guys, experienced pilots and their Bokhals and Messerschmitts, up against the old, uh, totally inexperienced Russians in their polycarpals and things. He made aviation history when he shot down 13 aircraft in 11 minutes. Unbelievable. And then eventually he ended up flying two sec twos uh, in defence of Germany towards the end of the war. And he was uh, one of the few jet aces of life. And he shot down uh, 17 aircraft with a versus a 262. I think about seven or eight of those were heavy bombs. A remarkable guy, and he's still alive in Germany today. There's a couple of statistics on him. He got shot down by ground fire or other aircraft 16 times. And he bailed out nine times. So, you think of a guy who, from the first day of the war to the last day of the war, all that record, he must have had a really good angel sitting on his right hand shoulder. That's it for me, folks. Any questions? I've got one. Um, yep. I know you've got the kitty book as well. Which do you prefer to fly out of that one night? And why? Uh, I'm lucky I fly several aircraft. I get to fly the kitty hawk, as you said, Spitfire, um, also fly the Yak 3 a little bit, and of course the Fogball. Depends which owner is closest to which one I like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have to say, uh, I think it's just a familiarity thing because I fly the Kitty Hawk more than any other. This is probably uh, my most comfortable on the Kitty Hawk. Kitty Hawk is just a big harbour. It feels very similar. The ergonomics are similar as in that you reach for the flaps and they're down here, something and down like that. Um, it, it, it's just a nice, honest aeroplane. Obviously, the Spitfire is very, very special, but it, it has a different feel to the other aircraft. Spitfire is quite heavy on ailerons and very, very light on the elevator, and that's unusual for an aeroplane. Most aeroplanes, you expect to have reasonably light ailerons and a little bit more weight in the elevator. Spitfire is not like that. The Yak 3 is just delightful in every way. It just feels right on the controls. It's a small aeroplane, it goes like a startled angel. Uh, same power as P40, when the P40 is doing 180 knots, the Yak 3 is doing about 250 knots. And it, it just rolls beautifully, it's just really, really nice. And then there's the pop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sort of, um, to, to try and uh, rationalise it, the P40 is a sports car, uh, an uh, sorry, a German sports car, the Spitfire is an English sports car, and the Yak would be a uh, racing car and the Fox Horse a noisy old rally car. It's just, if you ever, don't have ever been for a ride in a rally car, they're noisy, they rattle, they crash, they bang, that's the Fox Horse.
I've got a question. Um, you fly the P40, and Liz flies the P40, and we've actually seen you fly together as a pair. Is that the only sort of husband-wife pair P40 thing in the world? It's got to be. Uh, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to fly the P40, Dave, but then Liz got the keys, so... Uh... <laughs> how, does, how does the flying a football for say, for the first time, compared to the first time you flew, say, Lavochkin or something like that? Was that... Yeah, I, I, I was lucky enough to fly Lavochkin just on one occasion, or, and of course, um, it was all nicely sorted out, there was no issues with it. Uh, and a good briefing from John Lamont, who told me what to expect, and it was, um, it was not difficult, I should say. Whereas the pop was a totally unknown thing. I had no idea, I had a good idea what the engine might be like, because it was the same engine as the Lovotchkin. Uh, so far as the rest of the aircraft, it was just a, we'll see what we get. We'll go for it and do it. Any others? Next team. was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.